with a closer look at the news and events affecting Prince George. Welcome to After 9 on 93.1 CFIS-FM. It's the Thursday morning edition, and uh, your regular host for the first half hour, Diana Bell, unavailable again this week as she's holding fort at Hobby Brews. Uh, so we brought in a special guest. You may have heard some of the ads that are running, new advertisers here on the station, Pivot Leader Inc. We have Norm Adams in studio. Good morning, Norm. Good morning, Reg. How's it going? It's going great. It's great uh, to be here. Muggy looking Thursday, but uh, it's supposed to get better and sunny the next few days. So you know, time to get out the suntan lotion. Days are getting longer. Yes. Well, and then we gotta move the clock, and then it'll be really late that you can stay up and enjoy the enjoy the sunlight. Anyway, let's talk about Norm Adams to start with. Okay. Who are you? Where do you come from? How did you get to the point where you're running? A consulting business. Um, born and raised in Vanderhoof. Okay. So um, I like to say that I'm a long, long-time Northerner. Mm-hmm. But I was one of those Northerners who, uh, you know, when I was graduating from high school, I couldn't wait to get out of here. I, yeah. didn't, I didn't see a future for uh, for myself in northern BC. And as time went on, I stayed away for, for nine years. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I realized, looking at the Canadian economy, the provincial economy, where Western Canada was, that really the future was really in northern BC. And, uh, you know, I've been back here now for 27 years. Right. And it's been a great ride. You know, I'm so glad I made the made the decision to come home. So what are some of the stops along your way as far as uh, your professional career goes? Oh, where, boy. where all of you worked and what have you um, done? When I left here, I went to University of Alberta, Mm -hmm. and after U of A, I stayed in Alberta for a number of years. I worked for a company that actually used to have a location here. It was called The Future Shop. Oh, yeah. And uh, worked for The Future Shop for, I think, five five years. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, that was an interesting ride because I got exposed to a large corporate environment. And which had multiple locations across Canada, great systems. Um, mm-hmm. I, you know, you could walk out of one store and into another store. The systems were the same. Yeah, so that yeah. whole idea about systems thinking was really was really prevalent through the company. Um, when I left there, I came back to uh, came back to Prince George, and um, I worked part time at the college in the uh, in the winters, and in the summers I went out uh, in doing silviculture work. Oh, okay. And, um, then I got back into, um, which was my, my, my guess, my first true love was working with adults and um, uh, working with adults in an education environment. And mm-hmm. I worked for uh, the open learning, the old open learning agency, okay. which was best known for uh, housing the knowledge network. Oh, all right. You know? And so uh, uh, working at CNC also as an instructor, was that? Yeah, I had um, the, the work that I did there was largely as a trainer. Um, and also, um, because of the way that the staffing loads went, quite often you were training, but you were also um, you were also promoting and administering your own programs, right? You know, and uh, uh, you know, really gave me an exposure to a lot of the regional businesses from Mackenzie through to Prince George and out to Burns Lake. Right, right. So, what what do you say to people who throw the old adage back at you? Uh, those who can do and those who can't teach. <laughs> 
you know there is there is something to that yeah there are people out there who um they they come to the training profession from a position that is purely academic mm-hmm. where they've they've never had their boots on the ground right, they've right. never stepped outside of their vehicle and got their got their boots dirty and uh, so i think there is there is some adage to that that's true now uh that being said people who have been there with their boots on the ground Things change so fast. How do you keep up with with things that are changing in the business environment uh, when you haven't actually been in that uh, in that industry for a while? You know, for, first and foremost, you don't you don't come into a consulting role lightly. No, um, you come to it with uh, I think a decision right off the bat that if you're going to work with a client and provide value for your client, you really have to lean into it. So you rely upon yourself. Um, doing a lot of self-study, um, educating yourself through whatever means you can. If that means going back to school and getting a master's degree, great. But, you know, more often than that, it means uh, becoming well-networked and talking right. to people who've had their boots in the ground and had their careers behind them and made them mistakes because... Um, uh, there's that adage out there that, you know, you can't, you can't make good decisions if you can't make mistakes beforehand. Well, there's also the saying that, uh, you, you have to learn from other people's mistakes because you can't make them all your own yourself. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> it's not enough time. That's right. <laughs> Although I, I'm almost proving that wrong. Uh, <laughs> so let's talk about the transition from, uh, instructing to the creation of, uh, Pivot Leader Inc. Okay. So the consulting firm, how did that come about? Well, my path, so my, my business partner is Dave Fuller. Yes. Um, Dave and I have had kind of different, different paths. My, my path was that, uh, after the Open Learning Agency closed, I, um, I got involved with a, uh, uh, developing a piece of software. Um, the, the, uh, the software systems processes that we had in, in place of open learning, mm-hmm. I took that knowledge and worked with a fellow who worked in the jail system, and we created a jail management program. Um, that software that we developed, we took public. And um, the experience of taking a company public, um, although your viewers can't or your listeners can't tell, I had hair at that time. <laughs> um, but that experience was really um, a pivotal experience for me. Um, making the mistakes on a larger on a larger scale because every decision that you make takes on the added magnitude. Right, um, right. From there, um, I went to work for uh, the Jim Patterson Group, mm-hmm. and after I left the Jim Patterson Group, I got into um, financial services. And uh, what did you do at uh, with Jim Pattison? I worked for um, a company that they call the News Group. And something oh, that okay. people don't know about but Jimmy is that any magazine or book that you buy in yeah. Canada largely comes from uh, Jim Pattison Group through the News Group, the news group uh, yeah. business. Yeah. So pretty much any any reading material that you have in Canada, with the exception of what's supplied to Costco, mm-hmm. comes through the Pattison Group. Hmm. There you yeah. go. Um, so again, logistics, good systems, learning systems, uh, right. systems thinking. Um, when I went into financial services, I worked in commercial insurance, also worked as a commercial lender. And so you got to see business from a different perspective, right? Right. Cause there's always, when you're coming up through business, you see what management wants, but you don't often see what the other stakeholders want. What do you know? What does the bank want to see when you come in for your annual reviews? Right, right. You know what? What makes you a good candidate for a loan, and what makes you a not so good candidate? Yeah. Uh, actually, that's a, a good one for uh, not for profits that are looking for funding as well. Same same idea. Uh, what 
what makes a good funding application uh, and what Abs- is it that the person on the other end really wants to see, right? Absolutely. So one thing you talked about a lot is mistakes. And I guess that's something that I get the impression most people don't understand. Uh, they look at someone who has perhaps failed in, in different things or, or had a tough uh, struggle in different situations, and they look at that, well, he's not very good. But a lot of times that's just a case of he's way better off than the guy that hasn't gone through a lot of that. Does that make sense? Or? I think it makes complete sense. I'm fond of saying that, you know, if, if you've taken on a task... And the first time you you address that task, the first time you complete that task, if you've done it without any errors, you didn't learn. You didn't really didn't learn anything. No. And the next you time you lucked out. Is yeah, what you, you did. <laughs> you, you lucked out. And the next time you approach that task, there's an overconfidence that comes with it, and that's usually where the wheels fall off the cart. Yeah, yeah. And you don't have the skills and experience to really critically look at, okay, what went wrong? How can I right the ship? How can I get back on track again? And, you know, if we pay, if leaders paid more attention to the mistakes that they've made, large and small, um, those are your real learning lessons. That's the tuition. The mistakes are the tuition you pay for success down the road. Actually, uh, I come from a family of do-it-yourselfers when it comes to construction and home maintenance and stuff like that. And and I, I avoid that with a passion because of the fact that, if if I'm going to take on a project, I know that there's a whole lot of there's a whole bunch of stuff I'm going to have to learn, and chances are I'm going to make a number of mistakes trying to get it done, and then at the end I'm going to look at it and go, yeah, I should have done that different. Whereas if I bring someone in who's done it a whole lot, they know all the little ticks, tricks and and how to get it done properly without making all those errors. Right, but I guess the other story there is that you know what mistakes you've made but someone else could come in and go wow you know reg that looks really good and and you get to just yeah. say thanks <laughs> yeah yeah well i like it when they say that and i didn't have to do any of the work <laughs> so uh, let's talk about pivot leader inc what exactly does pivot well first off where'd you get the name um how did you decide on pivot leader inc dave and i um and dave's daughter emily fuller Mm-hmm. Uh, we tossed around names over the course of probably two and two weeks or so. Oh yeah, and we wrestled with names. Pivot. We kept coming back to the word pivot. Right. Um, not not so much that we were trying to get people to uh, pivot their business and take on something new. Right. But um, yeah, I guess my take on it was getting people to pivot their thinking a little bit. Right, you know, right. Um, because so often when you've been doing the same thing every day for so long, you, you kind of get seduced by your own thinking that there's only one solution. And the word pivot, uh, in my mind, was a way of uh, getting people to think differently about about their situation. Yeah, it's it's kind of a, a, fra- a word that's become popular over the last two years because of the, the pandemic. Yeah. A lot of businesses uh, or even individuals have had to pivot because things yeah. aren't the way they're supposed to be. Yeah, it's uh, we kind of run the risk now of becoming, uh, the words almost become cliched in, right. a, in, a, in a sense um, because of the things that you've just said. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so you started, w- w- when did the Pivot Leader Inc. start officially? Um, we started uh, three years ago. Oh, okay. You know, just um, before the pandemic. Just before the pandemic. Um, 
Dave and I had both been doing consulting on our own mm-hmm. pr- prior to that. So I guess um, collectively, there's you know seven or eight years of uh, of individual experience. But we we kind of teamed up three years ago and called it right. Credit Leader. So uh, who who else is on your team? You, you mentioned uh, Dave's daughter, and you have others that are involved. Yeah, we've got a handful of employees, all of whom work. Um, you know, anywhere from 10 to 20 hours a week. Sometimes there's 20 hours a month because one of the things that we discovered, and that's, you know, it's almost a message that we give to our clients is that there's a lot of people out there that are willing to work 10 or 20 hours a week or 10 or 20 hours a month. They, right. it's, it's not because of circumstance. It's literally what they want to do because of what's going on, what else is going on in their lives. And they're qualified people. In, in some cases, the quali- their qualifications are, are fantastic. No. Yeah, that 20 hours a month sounds great. Unfortunately, my bank says otherwise. Yeah, no kidding. <laughs> so um, it, it, that's also something that, well, correct me if I'm wrong, but have you seen that uh, being more common since the pandemic? Because I, there's, I got the sense that a lot of people, uh, when they had to start working from home or they lost their jobs, they started looking around and, and, and tweaking what they were doing uh, professionally for a living. I, I, I think you're, you're spot on there. I think there was a trend. Mm-hmm. There, was a, there was an employment trend that had, was gradually coming our way up until you know, late 2019, 2020 right. when the pandemic hit. Um, there was a change in the way people were looking at their workplaces. Um, in some cases, uh, companies had already adopted a, some sort of blended work from home type of working environment. Um, and then, and then COVID hit. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I think some of those workplaces that were already playing with the idea of a work from home arrangement, they, they had an initial uh, leg up. But, uh, then there was the rest of us who, um, there were a lot of employers that really, uh, struggled with that whole work from home, uh, work from home arrangements for their employees. Yeah. yeah uh, work from home. Another aspect I think that's grown quite a bit is, uh, contract work. Absolutely. As opposed to having a whole bunch of employees, you contract with individuals to do this uh, particular task or that particular is is that something that you find is growing quite a bit or I think that 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 part of the economy that we call a gig economy mm-hmm. that gig economy really I think has really taken off uh, in during COVID. Um, but it's not just it's not just the, uh, the the work from home. We shouldn't just look at it as just as just uh, gigs or part time gigs. Um, we're familiar with a company, and I think it was an insurance company, if I remember, in Kelowna, mm-hmm. who was uh, uh, looking for growth. And they were at the time, just before COVID hit, they were looking to get a new building. You know, do all the things that we would traditionally think right. that a growing right. company should do. Yeah. Uh, COVID hit, and they ended up kind of altering or changing course and having um, a lot of their new reps work from home. They were full-time positions, yeah. full-time salary positions, but people were working from home. And they, be it circumstance or good luck, the people that they hired flourished under those they under oh. that environment. And it was a real lesson, I think, to other people that were watching Mm-hmm. They go, okay, so maybe it's not about real estate. And I think, you know, if, if we look at the larger cities, um, you know, what we've seen is commercial real estate has really been struggling yeah, yeah. Uh, during COVID. Yeah. Um, 
So since you're involved talking with different businesses around the north, is that something that you're often addressing when you're talking to established businesses is, is maybe they need to look at that as an option or? I think, you know, Northern BC, British Columbia almost has, uh, two economies okay and it's and it's not just one sector versus another although they do kind of overlap there's that that lower mainland uh vancouver uh fraser valley um yeah. economy and then there's what we experience here you know in that region say north of uh, north of lillowat or north of uh, williams lake where we do have um some very strong businesses who aren't able to attract the talent for for one reason or another, right. and largely it's because of a perception that uh, that Northern BC doesn't tick all the boxes for them. You know, yeah. maybe there's you know the analogy about there not being a Starbucks on every corner. <laughs> um, but there's a lot of um, there is a role for that part time contractor to play, right? Where you know maybe you're not working for. Uh, one company for 40 hours a week. Maybe you're working for three companies for 10 hours a week. Right. right. Or 15 hours a week or whatever yeah. that equation works out to. Um, I think there's, there's a role to play hmm. for people who are pursuing those jobs. Okay, we're going to take a quick break and come back. We're talking with Norma Adams from Pivot Leader Inc. here on After 9. On the next Lamplighter Theater. I cannot help but speak of the one who loves me. Jesus? Yes. Jesus is still teaching me about his boundless love. I long to have the same love for him and for others. The Christian has to be dealt with. Why? He has been talking to my parents about his religion. We kill the infidel tonight. Don't miss the next Lamplighter Theater. Sundays at 7 a.m. and p.m. here on 93.1 CFIS-FM. The Beat is back Sunday with a Street Beat donation drop at the Q3 building, a presentation of 93.1 CFIS-FM and Happy Drummer Productions. Featuring the music of seven local artists, including Patchwork, Steve Baker, and The Kickers, venue seating will be available, and the event will be live-streamed on Facebook. All donations go directly to St. Vincent de Paul. Full details are available at the CFIS-FM Facebook page. The Street Beat donation drop, Sunday from 2 to 9 at the Q3 building at Quebec and 3rd. Working from home is not always easy. Unexpected visitors, pets looking for attention, phone calls, chores, the list of possible interruptions is endless. Get away from the distractions with a rental from the Q3 Creative Business Hub. Rent an office or desk by the month or a desk on a drop-in basis when working from home is getting the better of you. For more information, email q3building at gmail.com. Q3 Creative Business Hub. Open for desk and office rentals at Quebec and 3rd. Forecast from Environment Canada, fog clearing late this morning, then a mix of sun and cloud. Wind at 15K, a high of 3 with a morning wind chill to minus 4. A few clouds tonight, increasing cloudiness near midnight with fog patches developing overnight and a 30% chance of flurries. Wind continuing, a low of minus 3. For Friday, a mix of sun and cloud, more wind, a high of 1 with a morning wind chill to minus 5. Thank you for tuning in and staying tuned to After 9 on 93.1 CFIS-FM. And we're talking this morning with Norm Adams from Pivot Leader, Inc. Just before we went to break, you mentioned something about uh, the difference between the Lower Mainland and Prince George and uh, and the fact that a lot of people have this perception of the North uh, of a, being a place they don't want to be. Um, but I hear stories all the time of people who show up for two years and they're still here 
20, 30 years later. Um, I even actually remember someone mentioning, the local business owner, they would fly people in yeah. so that they could see what it is that they're rejecting before they say no. Uh, is that something that you hear a lot about, or or what? what? Ab- absolutely, yeah. that's a long that's a long standing theme. I remember years ago there was uh, the first call center that was uh, being planned to come into Prince George, mm-hmm. and I remember all of us meeting at the coast in the north, and uh, the folks I believe the company was called Strive, and uh, they went around the room talking to the locals that had gathered. And the first person spoke and said, yeah, you know, I came to Prince George. I came up here after university. I came up here for six months. And I've been here for 25 years. Yeah. And they went on to the next person. And virtually every person that talked had the same story as the person before them, where they'd come north for a year or two years, or they came up to do their articling, and they stayed. Yeah, And yeah. I, I think we're finding that more and more now that social media has become so prevalent i think we're finding those stories are getting circulated more and yeah. more um, you're seeing you know communities like uh, communities like uh, prince george communities like smithers are mm-hmm. benefiting from that yeah um and to maybe to a lesser degree communities like fort st john and dawson creek yeah well uh technology wise it's gotten to the point where a lot and i think this has been accentuated during the pandemic where people are, or businesses and people are realizing that they don't have to be in a big center to do the work that they do. In fact, uh, I actually, uh, a friend of mine moved to Valmont oh, more than 10 years ago now, and that was because he realized with the technology, he didn't even have to be in a quote unquote big center like Prince George, he could go to Valmont where he can do all the cross country skiing and hiking he wants. So is that something that you hear quite regularly or something that you um, perhaps point out to businesses that are perhaps stuck in a, a, a rut, if you will? Well, I guess there's two answers to that. One is, I think it goes back to that. Um, as a business leader, sometimes mm-hmm. you get, you get, you fall victim to your own kind of insular thinking that the only people that could possibly, uh, come and, and work for your enterprise, um, have to live within an hour. Um, uh, recently I went down to the uh, mining show in Vancouver mm-hmm. and on the way into, um, and on my way into the convention center, we met with a fellow who is a real estate agent in Smithers and asked him how things were going. And he said, I had to come down here and take some time off. He said, the number of people buying houses up there, yeah. uh, it's really an active real estate market. Yeah. And what he shared with us was the number of people who were coming from and buying houses sight unseen from bigger centers. Yeah. That was a statistically relevant number. So there are people that are moving to smaller you know, smaller communities like the Valmonts and the Smithers and the Burns Lakes, mm-hmm. um, because they want that change in lifestyle. And all they need in order to do their job largely is high-speed internet and close access to uh, an airport that will get them to Vancouver during those for those meetings that they need to attend in Vancouver, which is really person. only an hour right. away. Yeah, uh, and that all uh, leads into something that you mentioned during the break, and that is. Uh, mental health, which is, uh, I think, uh, more of a concern these days than it's ever been. I, I think so. You see mental health covered a lot in uh, news stories uh, today. I think this was something that was, um, 
you know, we talked about trends pre-COVID. Uh, mental health in the workplace was uh, was an issue pre-COVID. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's something that uh, I think largely HR departments um, in companies big and small have not paid attention to. Um, and and I understand why. I mean, if you if you walk into your workplace with a broken arm, people know what's what's going on. If uh, if you've got a different issue, and uh, you know it's not it's not readily apparent, and it and it becomes something that you don't know how to address. So I I really think that uh, mental health has been something between um, between uh, whether you're in favor of. Uh, uh, masks or not masks or vaxes or anti-vaxes or what your issue is on um, the way that our, our our country is being run. And we have enough divisiveness that's going on, and it's really hurting. Um, you know, these are all elements that yeah. roll into that that mental health malaise. Okay, so uh, just a couple more minutes left. So let's talk a little bit. Just sort of give us uh, Cole's notes of. What it is Pivot Leader does, and why would someone want to be uh, get a hold of you guys? Okay. We largely work with small companies. Um, and when I say small, I'm talking companies that might have, say, 10 employees or more. And we've got some exceptions to that, but generally that's that's kind of seems to be a sweet spot. We've got companies mm-hmm. with, uh, you know, a couple hundred thousand dollars in revenues, and we've worked with companies that have a couple, of, uh, you know, over a hundred million dollars in revenues. But, you know, largely we work with companies to, to grow their business, train their employees. And, you know, in that, there's also an element of people that are looking for an exit strategy. So we'll help them sell their business as well. Yeah, I guess that's one aspect of business a lot of people don't think about, right? Well, I think when, you know, it's that old uh, adage from Stephen Covey used to use it a lot. And it was about beginning with the end in mind. When you start a business, you know, one of the things that should be tickling in the back of your brain is, okay, what, oh, how is this going to end? What is the end goal? Are you planning to sell the business? Are you going to sell it to a third party? Are you setting up something for the kids? Are you hoping to transition it to your employees? Is there a plan? And uh, if you don't have one, it's, you know, it's never too late to have a plan. Well, we started with uh, this end in mind. Uh, time to wrap it up and get out of the way. We have Trudy Clausen coming in with her uh, guest for this week. Uh, Norm, thanks for coming in. Thanks for having me. It was great. And uh, we'll probably have you and or Dave or both of you back in some other time. Uh, let's take a quick break. As said, uh, Trudy Clausen coming up in a moment here on After 9. Sexual harassment advice, response, and prevention are sharp for workplaces, aims to increase public knowledge, skills, confidence, and competence in managing complex issues related to workplace sexual harassment and to improve access to legal supports and resources for people who experience workplace sexual harassment. A sharp workplace is respectful, understands its legal responsibilities, and knows how to respond to and prevent sexual harassment. For more information on how to become a sharp workplace, visit sharpworkplaces.org. Heighten your executive performance with Vantage Point's Executive Lab. This transformational program will elevate your leadership skills to engage your board, staff, and volunteers and move your team towards your organizational goals. Registration and full details are available through the Executive Lab link under training at thevantagepoint.ca. The workshop runs seven consecutive Thursdays starting May 5th. Application deadline is March 24th. Vantage Point's Executive Lab, transforming not-for-profit leadership at thevantagepoint.ca. 
Prince George's own Alex McKenzie will be one of the headliners when the Hungry for Laughs comedy tour stops at the Prince George Playhouse for a pair of shows on March 12th. McKenzie will be joined by Ivan Decker, Chris Turner, Orissa Kelly, and Simon King for the shows with partial proceeds to the Salvation Army Food Bank. Shows start at 7 and 9.30 on March 12th, and tickets are $55 each at HungryForLaughs.net. The Hungry for Laughs comedy tour, March 12th at the Playhouse. The 2022 BKT and OK Tire World Women's Curling Championship is March 19th to 27th at CN Center. Full event, weekend, and single-day packages, as well as single-draw tickets, are all available for purchase online through curling.ca and at the CN Center box office. All fans, athletes, volunteers, and event staff will need to provide proof of full vaccination. The 2022 BKT and OK Tire World Women's Curling Championship, March 19th to 20th. At CN Center. This is After 9 on Prince George's Community Station, 93.1 CFIS FM. Good morning. Trudy Claussen here this morning with a guest who was very kind and uh, jumped in at the last minute. Thank you very much, Todd. Welcome. Thanks, Trudy. Okay, so this is Todd Corrigal from the BC Chamber of Commerce. So um, it was a little bit of a. <laughs> <laughs> a misunderstanding on my part. I I thought Todd was uh, a big part of this, but um, but anyway, you are interested in what's going on in the Ukraine, and uh, so I just want to let you begin with maybe some thoughts about that, and then I think I had made some notes about things that we could talk about that was uh, you know more political, chamber of commerce, uh, small business kind of stuff, city budget. Um, so how about let's start with uh, your thoughts on what's going on in the Ukraine. Sure. I just want to take one step back. You, you introduced me as the BC Chamber of Commerce. Uh, I'm and sorry. while I do sit on the board of directors for the BC Chamber of Commerce, I'm actually the CEO of the PG. PG, yes. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> too many acronyms, Trudy. Too, too, too many. many. Yep. Um, so, yeah, so on the issue in Ukraine, you know, we're. You know, we're obviously uh, very concerned and very frustrated by by what's happening there. I think it, it certainly sets a, a bad precedent uh, globally. Uh, but then from a business perspective, our role right now is figuring out how the Prince George business community can play a role in in helping to assist uh, Ukrainian families, Ukrainian businesses, uh, anyone who's involved and impacted by this uh, senseless conflict. Yeah, it's it's pretty pretty horrifying to watch. And, and you know, for most of us, we've... Uh, I mean, at least in Canada here, we've known relative peace and, you know, just it, it feels pretty close for, for many of us, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, absolutely. And I mean, um, I, I spent a, a fairly large chunk of time in Alberta that has a, a huge Ukrainian community, and we know there's still a huge community uh, here in B.C. And, and so in, in some way, shape or form, uh, we all know somebody who's Ukrainian. Uh, or somebody who's being impacted by this crisis. Uh, and, and these are, you know, much like COVID was uh, and remains, opportunities to show our spirit, our resiliency, and our sense of community. Yeah, absolutely. I think Canada has the, well, no, I, the numbers I'm hearing is that Canada has the, the, the largest uh, diaspora of, uh, of Ukrainians. So we sort of are their second home in a way, right? I mean, second yeah, home. Yeah, I mean, I, I still remember as a kid one of the one of the boys I grew up with 
was uh, was from a Ukrainian family, and we used to do the Ukrainian Easter eggs at Ukrainian <laughs> Easter time. And uh, you know, driving through Alberta, there's the world's largest Pisanki egg yes. uh, towards the Saskatchewan yep. border. I mean, that was the highlight. That was the highlight of that road. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. So, um, I mean, where I sort of made that connection between you and the Ukraine was uh, you had uh, you were supporting the uh, what um, I hope I say his name right. Vova Plushnikov, uh, a UMBC Timberwolves player who is going to be doing an event. Can you tell us a little bit about what you know about that? You know, I don't know much about the event. Uh, we were we were asked if we would support this initially. And, and you know, as I've said, we're as an organization and as a board uh, currently figuring out what our role can and should be in this process. Uh, but, you know, what what's compelling about this story is here's a young gentleman who's come here to further his, his academic and sporting uh, aspirations, who's got family that's over there, who's very concerned, obviously, uh, for what's happening, and is doing what he can to raise money to help that community out. Mm-hmm. So, you know, these, these are, again, these, these small opportunities where, as a community, we have an opportunity to make positive impacts. Uh, and, again, whether that's, that's us supporting VOVA's uh, uh, program and project uh, financially uh, or by helping to spread the word so more people can can support it financially, mm-hmm. or whether that's creating our own programs that are very complementary to the things that are currently happening. Yeah, exactly. So um, what we're talking about here is uh, VOVA is going to be running 44 kilometers. Um, so this is Tuesday, this coming Tuesday. Uh, what's the date for this coming Tuesday? Uh, um, that's a great question. Ha, 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 let me just the check. The 8th or the 9th? It's the 8th. 8th. So for this Tuesday... Um, at 4 p.m. at City Hall. So put that on your calendars. Tuesday, 4 p.m. at City Hall. He, uh, that's where he'll be completing. So this is where you're gonna, we're gonna see him exhausted after running 44 kilometers. Uh, and that's to, and what he's wanting to do, he's, the reason he picked 44 kilometers is because there are 44 million people living in the Ukraine and he wants to, uh, that's, that's his goal to run that and to raise money for the Ministry of Social Policy to provide food and shelter for refugees and displaced citizens. So this, it's a very good cause, and uh, I just encourage everyone to come out for that. And uh, yeah, so I mean, that's just encouraging. And, and I mean, it must feel awful for him to be, you know, I mean, not there, but also, you know, here. And yeah, just a, a big deal. So, um, you know, as a community, it's really good that we can, fu- that that's sort of a tangible way that we can support support the Ukraine, correct? Absolutely, yeah. Yep. Okay, um, so I'm going to segue a little bit into... I was just looking through what the Chamber of Council, uh, Chamber PG Chamber of Commerce has been doing recently. Is there something that you want to start with? We've got a few minutes before our break, so I'll, maybe I'll let you talk about the thing that, you know, that you're most excited about that you're working on right now. Yeah, so there's a couple or several big things that we're working on right now. Uh, first and foremost... Uh, True North Business Development Forum that we generally host in January uh, in conjunction with the Natural Resources Forum was moved to June 2nd for this year, and that was to uh, ensure that we could accommodate in-person participation. <laughs> yeah. um, and, and, and really, you know, 
with a lens on economic recovery uh, for this year's conference, it, it's very important that we have the right industries represented uh, and have people in the room. So that's why we moved that to June 2nd. June 2nd? Uh, yeah, June 2nd uh, at the Courtyard by Marriott. Uh, and then the following week, uh, we actually have the uh, BC Chamber Executives Society, which I'm the, the chair of, uh, and the BC Chamber of Commerce AGM that are going to be in Prince George uh, from the 6th through the 9th, so a full week of stuff going on there. Uh, and right now, we are just finishing off uh, our policy submission uh, that will be a response to the government's budget uh, that came out uh, last week. So no shortage of things going on, and of course now the, the opportunity to speak to the redistricting uh, or the Electoral Boundaries Commission that's going to start moving around the province is, is starting, and so... Uh, we're, we're lining up our opportunities to speak, and hopefully we'll, uh, we'll have a couple uh, opportunities to, to share our message of why uh, eliminating ridings here in, in northern and rural B.C. Uh, is certainly the wrong approach for better representation. Well, that's an interesting thing. I wouldn't have thought usually that that's something the Chamber of Commerce does, but why is that a concern for, for Chamber members? Yeah, so we are only as good from a chamber perspective as the uh, elected officials that represent us and, and our access to uh, lobbying on behalf of businesses. Hmm. Uh, and so if, if we look at our ridings right now, and we can use uh, uh, Mike Morris and, and Shirley Bond as our MLAs and Todd Doherty and Bob Zimmer as our MPs, they are covering such wide sections of our province that not only is it complicated and complex to travel through your riding, it's complicated and complex to have all of the issues that are so starkly different in each community throughout those ridings. Mm-hmm. And our elected officials do a tremendous job, and I mean a tremendous job, of speaking to all of those issues and supporting all of those issues that support their constituents, but eliminating ridings uh, in in areas where the ridings are already the size of other countries <laughs> yes. is challenging at best. Okay, all right. So we have to take a break, so we'll be back. I'm talking to Todd Corgill of the Prince George Chamber of Commerce. The Prince George Community Foundation is pleased to announce even more support to organizations making a difference in our community. Registered charities in Prince George needing COVID relief funding can submit a proposal today for support. Registration and full details are available through the Prince George Community Foundation's website, pgcf.ca. Submissions for the COVID Relief Emergency Fund are restricted to registered charities in Prince George and will be accepted through the end of March. The UNBC Division of Palliative Care and the BC Centre for Palliative Care need your help. If you're an adult living in BC who has experienced grief following the death of someone during the pandemic, share your experience in an online survey. Results will be used to help improve BC's grief support services. To participate or for more information, email jblack at bc-cpc.ca. The deadline for taking this 15-minute online pandemic grief survey is March 25th. Spring break camps are ready to roll at Two Rivers Gallery. Students grades 1 through 7 are invited to a week of fun art inspired by Irish history or examine homes, shelters, and lifestyles through art during spring break. Sign up for one or both of the week-long creativity camps. Registration and full details are available at Two Rivers Gallery. Spring break 
Creativity Camps, Remember Ireland starting March 14th and Remember Home starting March 21st at Two Rivers Gallery, where creativity flows in the Canada Games Plaza. Forecast from Environment Canada, fog clearing late this morning, then a mix of sun and cloud. Wind at 15K, a high of 3 with a morning wind chill to minus 4. A few clouds tonight, increasing cloudiness near midnight with fog patches developing overnight and a 30% chance of flurries. Wind continuing, a low of minus 3. For Friday, a mix of sun and cloud, more wind, a high of 1 with a morning wind chill to minus 5. You're listening to After 9 on Prince George's Community Station, 93.1 CFIS-FM. Okay, we're back. Uh, Trudy Clausen here talking with Todd Corrigal of the Prince George Chamber of Commerce. Todd, you were just finishing up with uh, talking about working on the redistribution uh, potential for our ridings, and that's a provincial issue, right? You're looking, this is, they're looking at changing the boundaries for our MLAs? Yeah, so there's, yeah, there's going to be two parts to this. The first is the Electoral Boundaries Commission, which is the provincial uh, entity that was, uh, put in motion by our, our provincial government, uh, and then there will likely be federal redistricting coming as oh. well. Census oh. results are out. <laughs> well, at least the arguments will be the same coming from us, right? Well, the federal one, we don't really get to argue. That's done on census results, so what they do will be will be done. Oh, my word. Yeah. Oh, so that doesn't look very good for us, does it? Uh, no, I think our, our, our populations have expanded, maybe not as... as prolifically as other areas, uh, but there's always arguments to be made for them how those those ridings are redistricted. I'm not exactly sure how quickly that's going to happen, so I'm not uh, I'm not raising any alarm bells over that. The the electoral boundaries commission from the, the province is currently underway, uh, and and will be moving quite rapidly. Okay, uh, so that they can add those additional seats in the lower mainland sooner rather than later. Okay, so can we? Um, so, how can the average uh, Prince George citizen who's in our listening area, um, how can they get involved and maybe voice their opinion? Like, do you know some of the contact information for that? Yeah, I don't have it offhand, but you can you can look online. There's an opportunity to submit uh, written submissions. There's an opportunity to speak to the commission when they travel through the province. So that's the BC uh, Electoral Boundaries Commission. Correct. Okay. All right. So just um, search for that on your search engine, BC Electoral Boundaries Commission. <laughs> okay. Yeah. All right. And uh, and one thing that I know when you're when you're writing stuff, and, and I mean to your whether it's to your uh, like to the Boundaries Commission or to your MLA or to the Premier, your your um, your communication doesn't have to be fancy. It just has to be. Uh, I mean, it's probably preferred that it not be just, you know, state your point quite succinctly and briefly, and that's better than a long letter, right? (laughs) Uh, You know, based on the responses we get from government, which are very long and very drawn out, uh, yeah, keep it succinct (laughs) and to the point. (laughs) <laughs> yes. Yes. Okay. Uh, well, and uh, because I think it's a lot harder to throw away when it's, you know, when it's sh- short, right? Because it's like, yeah, they're not having to wade through stuff and just ignore it. So, okay. Yeah. Um, all right. So let's talk more uh, locally here. I mean, our city came out with a budget. You guys had asked for city council to find a 5% reduction of non-staff um, work. Um, how did that go for you? Uh, not well. <laughs> uh, you know, <laughs> I, I think it's quite frustrating when we take a budget the size of our municipality 
And we say that we're going to provide one survey or one opportunity for engagement in October. And then there's going to be 15 minutes before each budget meeting, if there happens to be two, for feedback from the community. Uh, that is a... Uh, on, on a budget of how many millions? Near 100 million. It's insane. Uh, and we can't... We can't continue to not engage residents and businesses and community leaders in how we develop the spending that's derived through tax dollars. We are fundamentally missing many, many opportunities to find a better path forward for our community. And if we take our example specifically, we sat down we said unequivocally that council should delay the budget process in that meeting, ask every department to find upwards of 5% savings that are non-staff related and non-service level impacting and come back to the table. So certainly you'll have some departments who might be running incredibly lean that can only find a percentage or a couple of percentages, but I'm guaranteeing there are certain departments that could find 8 9 10%. Uh, of additional spending that's going on that can be trimmed back for the benefit of the community. Uh, That's not to say that those monies disappear. That's to say that those monies need to be examined in different ways, shapes, and forms, whether that's through user pay structures, whether that's through uh, partnerships with the business community. There's a myriad of ways that funding can be raised that is non-tax related. However, we have continued to go down this road of just taxing and taxing, but we continue to expand our boundaries uh, and where our services are running. You know, without a hint of irony, council every year will say during the first snowfall, oh, you know why it takes so long to clear our roads? Well, we have 740 lane kilometers, and that's more than any other city our size. Yep. You're exposing the fallacy of what you've just done. You're telling people that we have continued to sprawl our city so much that we have more lane kilometers than any other community our size, and that's why it takes us so long to do it. But what they don't say is that's also why it costs so much to do it. Yes. That, that, like, I mean, so are you serious that we're still expanding the city's borders? Well, we continue to see new developments that are constantly approved that are pushing uh, not our existing um, physical boundaries, but they're pushing our existing infrastructure further out. So Uh if a new development happens, and it happens, let's say, in Westgate, uh, they need to add new roads, curbs and gutter, sewer, water, all the services, without taking into account the fact that, well, eventually there might be some burdens that require new schools, that require new fire halls, uh, that require adjustments to our service patterns. And so if we can look at other jurisdictions and how they've approached development, it's starkly different than we have here. Oh, my goodness. Well, that's um, so, you know, what? I want to talk a little bit more about that. But so let's take our break a little bit early here uh, to give us more time. And so we'll be back after this. Two Rivers Gallery invites local artists to submit proposals for an original mural design for their wild side space. The wild side is a family-friendly area, open to all, but mainly geared toward children. Located on the second floor of the gallery, it's filled with activities that encourage curiosity, exploration, and learning through play. Submission and other details about the mural are available through Two Rivers Gallery. Two Rivers Gallery Wild Side Mural Call to Artists. Submission deadline is 5 p.m. April 1st. 
With the generous help of Industrial Forest Services, Reaps has relocated their office to 1595 Fifth Avenue. The Reaps Compost Demonstration Garden is also slated to be relocated in April, which will result in a transition period as they re-establish the garden. There will be no interruption of programs, community initiatives, or field trips to schools and residents, and summer programming will still take place within the community. Questions about this transition can be submitted to the Reaps Board by emailing directors at reaps.org. The Alzheimer's Society of BC has continuing online dementia education programs. These free presentations offer small group information workshops facilitated to provide opportunities for live discussion. Take in the workshop Long Distance Caregiving, Tuesday, March 15th from 6 to 7.30. Registration and full details on this and other sessions are available through alzbc.org. More information is also available through the First Link Dementia Helpline at 1-800-936-6033. Businesses in the electoral areas of the regional district of Fraser Fort George interested in giving their buildings a facelift can now apply for a one-time grant. Eligible businesses can receive a 50% reimbursement for up to $5,000 to complete exterior improvements such as building facades, signage, murals, architectural features, siding, lighting, and awnings. More information on the regional district's facade improvement grant is available at rdffg.bc.ca. The application deadline is May 31st. Keeping you up to date on current news and events in and around Prince George. This is After 9 on 93.1 CFIS-FM. Okay, Trudy Clausen back with Todd Corrigal, president of the of the Prince George Chamber of Commerce. Uh, we were just talking about uh, the cost of, of roads and, and sewage and sidewalks and curbs and everything and, and how we seem to not be doing a great job of that here in the city. And I know I'm putting you a little bit on the spot here, Todd, but can you expand a little bit on that? Like, how do other cities do this differently? Like, do you do you have enough knowledge about that to maybe talk about that a little bit? Yeah, I mean, thankfully, I've, I've not only worked for this municipality, I've worked for other municipalities as well. So there's there's lots of great comparators that we can go off of. Um, so in Alberta, for example, their official community plans are not torn apart at every council meeting. Uh, <laughs> what those plans do is they show elevation, they show design parameters, and they show what's incumbent upon a developer to implement into their development strategy. And that includes any future upgrading that may need to happen. So they're not going in and, and dropping in pipe that's, you know, five mils when they know the neighborhood's going to grow enough that they're going to need nine mil pipe uh, in a few years. Uh, so they, they, they purpose build for future growth. Uh, they also purpose build for community beautification. So, for example, if you're building a neighborhood, there's an expectation that that neighborhood will have a park that is built. The city will certainly maintain it, but they won't be building it. Uh, there's also an expectation that if they're doing multifamily homes uh, or where they know families with children will be locating, that they're taking into account any future schooling needs or any fire safety needs that are going to be uh, inherent with those developments. So they're planning well out. If we look at the city of Edmonton as an example, uh, they saw so much sprawl. Uh, and when I worked for the government out there, uh, you know, everything was happening around the Anthony Henday. So it was pushing outside of the city. Mm-hmm. What the city council did was they said, we can't keep doing this. We're stretching our services. Our taxes are, are increasing year over year at, at an exponential rate that's becoming unaffordable. 
And rather than putting a moratorium on new development, which you know will incite developers and, and stops growth of your community, they said we need to have a certain percentage of new development that's infill development, so that you're you're focusing on your core and your your in internal communities, so downtown and the immediate surrounding catchment. So for us, for example, it would be downtown. Okay, so what do you mean and by that? Like by focusing, what did you mean? Like Edmonton did exactly what? Infill. So they developed an infill strategy. Okay. So that meant that if somebody was looking to buy a piece of property, and we know some of the older properties are much larger than the newer properties, and they have smaller homes on them. So if they're purchasing that, it wouldn't be built into another mega house. It would be built into a multifamily development, townhouses, condominiums, duplexes, things of that nature. So what was inevitably happening is you had more families residing on one piece of land, accessing the existing infrastructure that's in the ground and not needing to expand that out. So you're not forced into a position where you have to increase taxes to service new neighborhoods. You're servicing more people within an existing neighborhood then. But they did, but there is a lot of development around the Anthony Henday, right? Of course there is. Like I said, they did not put a moratorium on new development. Oh, I see. Okay, so what you're they, saying is that they, they increased the tax base by increasing infill. They in, Yes, they incentivized the taxes to be built on an infill basis. And they went as far as putting a percentage on what needed to be infill to allow for more external development to happen as well. Okay, so was that a a requirement of the developers who wanted to develop around the Anthony Henday? Well, it was a a requirement for development in the city. Okay. Uh, So inevitably, you had some of the developers that were were on the outsides of town that said, yeah, great, I mean, if I'm going to get some tax incentive to build in there and it's going to help the community, there's a win-win. Okay. So what would that look like here in Prince George? Uh, I think there's a number of opportunities for that. Again, you know, we have a lot of surrounding communities, the Miller Edition, uh, uh, the Crescent, that are all immediately surrounding downtown. Mm-hmm. You know, one of, one of the things I hear quite regularly is the city incentivized new development in downtown, but they haven't incentivized redevelopment mm-hmm. in that downtown. So when we look at a lot of the buildings that are downtown that, you know, some look like they're in disrepair, some look like they could use a, uh, a bit of a facelift, and, and we know before Canada Winter Games there was facade improvement grants. But if somebody goes in, a young professional goes in and purchases a building downtown in Prince George because they see the investment opportunity and the betterment of our community, they should be able to access the tax incentives that help them redevelop that existing property so that they're both beautifying our community and adding new value to the downtown. That type of thing is contagious. One person sees it, and it continues to happen, and it continues to happen. Yes, and that's uh, you, you used a word there that, uh, I, that I've had a discussion around with people, that just that... Um, you know, to segue a little bit, like the fact of of beautiful, like the the word beautiful, like how many, I know that there are spots in our downtown particularly that, that are just really beautiful, but those are only spots and they're not connected. And so how do you develop like that whole, that pride of place so that 
I guess that's part of the, the part of the idea, right? Of where if you incentivize redevelopment as well, then you're going to de- get more of that happening downtown, right? Yeah, that's absolutely the idea. Oh. You know what we're what we're looking to do, uh, and what often gets lost is that we are a great community. We have a great opportunity here, and building community pride and a sense of being involves a great level of partnership that we don't currently have. So what's the what's the key to rebuilding that? Um, I mean, I, you're the uh, Prince George Chamber of Commerce. Like, how do you guys try to work that on that? Um, I mean, let's, you know, let's say, okay, you know, the city isn't really great at that. Are you able to develop um, relationships with local groups to improve that? Yeah, we've certainly spoken with a number of local businesses. We've spoken with a number of local property owners. We've spoken with a number of developers not from Prince George that may be looking at Prince George uh, as a viable option, more particularly pre-pandemic, but I'm starting to get some of those connections back now as we're all uh, pushing forward. So those discussions are imperative moving forward because that will be the future of this community and that will help shape how we move forward. Now, the the larger issue is how do we break down barriers? Well, we've got a municipal election uh, this coming October, uh, and, and that should be a ballot box question. Uh, I've heard if all eight incumbents are to run for council, uh, there's upwards of 31 candidates that are going to be running. That's going to be a lot of noise and a lot harder to navigate through for a lot of people. But I would encourage people to focus in on who has a great vision for the long-term sustainability of our community. Well, it always seems to me that Prince George is just a grand place to live. Um, we have certainly enjoyed our time here, and but we've also been frustrated by the lack of progress and... Um, Well, thank you for being one of those voices that is calling out for that. Uh, Todd, thank you very much. Uh, We'll be back with Front Burner tomorrow and political panel after that. After 9 is a daily presentation of CFIS-FM. After 9 is produced by Alan Wishart, Echo Wiley, Trudy Clausen, and Rez Krebs. Executive producer is Reg Fair with technical assistance from Stephen Smith. Additional contributors include CBC News and the National Campus and Community Radio Association. Theme music is by The Ebbs. For a rebroadcast of today's program, check out the podcast link at cfisfm.ca. To provide feedback or suggestions for the show, please email cfisfm at yahoo.ca. Owned and operated by the Prince George Community Radio Society, you're listening to CFIS-FM Prince George, a not-for-profit community radio station broadcasting with 500 watts of power at 93.1 FM.